Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a bit early. I've started my day really incredibly early, but um, it's going really well. How are you? I'm doing good today. Um, It's 7 p.m. where I am. So what time is it where you are? It's 9, but I started work at 5 a.m. So. Oh, um, wow. Yes, I'm accommodating the time difference now that I'm in Australia and most of my clients are in North America. That gets a bit tough sometimes, but I'm becoming a morning person as a result. So there you go. So before we get started, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. For sure. So my name is Sarah Kubrick and some of you may know me as the Millennial Therapist. I feel like that's the label that gets used a lot now, more so than my name. I'm an existential psychotherapist. I'm Canadian certified and my focus and my specialty in psychotherapy is identity, trauma, and relationships. That's awesome. Your work, first of all, is so monumental. And what you share on social media, specifically these digestible bits of information, but also tools that folks can really carry with them has shaped a lot of the narrative online right now with therapists using their expertise and their voice to give folks that, you know, sense of community through connecting with a therapist. So I would love to know why you started using social media as another way to bridge the gap between mental health and mental wellness online, and then how you got started in your work of course, offline, just in your process and over the years? So I'm under the belief that everyone deserves information. And I feel like a lot of struggles that we undergo as a society can be helped by just having the right information. And it's almost like psychology was this like secret club where we had the insider knowledge and it wasn't widely shared. And I think one of the things I feel super passionately about is just educating. And this was such a cool way to do that. I wanted to also understand what people were going through on a bigger scale. So I'm also a researcher and um, my curious mind, I wanted to know what is it like to live today? What is it like for millennials to interact with our society? And so I think there were a lot of reasons why I kind of started my Instagram account, but it was honestly accidentally. I started an online practice and I tried to obviously get clients. And that was quite difficult because anything that worked as a strategy for my friends that had face-to-face practices wasn't working for me. And so I actually had a therapist go, have you tried Instagram? And I was like, well, that's just ridiculous. Like who would want to sit there and read things I have to say about psychology? (laughs) And I honestly, like I went into it super like, I'm going to give myself six months. And in a year, I really hope I can reach like 5,000 people. Like that was my ultimate goal. And I started 2019. And I, I kind of went, you know what? I want people to understand therapists are people too. I want us to be more candid and raw about what the human experience is like. And so I'm just going to put this out there and see how people respond. That's the researcher in me. And just kind of 
give it a shot. It was very much shot in the blind, like in the dark. So mm-hmm. I, it was an accidental thing. Um, and I think what very long way of answering that question is what led to it was a, I was trying to understand like how to do that, how to develop that also give back information and also just kind of be more in touch with the community that I live in. And I think that that really, I have so much to say, but I'm going to start with, I think that is truly amazing when things grow and happen in ways that feel organic Mm. and that are rooted in a different type of authenticity. But I think that having that authentic connection with folks be it online or in person, people can tell when you're being genuine and when you're truly looking to serve folks. And that's what really kind of keeps me in touch with the therapists that I follow on social media specifically, because like right now, I don't have a therapist. I'm looking for one. And then that got put on hold with this whole Mm -hmm. COVID thing. So being able to kind of get some doses of mental wellness and tools to carry in my emotional toolbox from people and professionals that I trust online who are sharing the expertise has been really eye-opening and moving in ways that I wasn't expecting it to be. So mm-hmm. thank you for your offerings and for the researcher in you trying to see like, hmm, how is this going to work? And it has worked. It has really c- cultivated and created a special community. So to backtrack a little bit, so why did you choose your specialty in the mental health field? I always knew I wanted to be a therapist and part of that traces back to just my own narrative, my own story. And I was actually born in uh, Bosnia during the war. Mm -hmm. So by age of nine, I survived two wars in the Balkans and then we immigrated to Canada. And so that in itself can also be quite traumatic. And so I would say early on, I experienced a lot of things that made trauma very salient to me and impacts of trauma very salient to me. And ever since seeing things that didn't make sense as a kid as, you know, why would someone want to hurt my family? Or why would someone want to hurt the people that I love? I got really curious about human nature. And I think I had so many questions as a kid that my attempt in answering some of them initially was, oh, I'm going to study psychology. And that's always been something I thought I was going to do. And then I did it. And I think my focus as to why slowly evolved from I want answers to I actually want to help alleviate this pain. It resonates with me and I understand it. And now the next step is how can I serve? How can I make it better? And so I think for me, just that background was something that planted that seed. And so my specialty of trauma, relationships, identity, um, just kind of stemmed from that. I would say my big focus on identity now is a very, it's a more recent thing just because the way that I perceive trauma, but they all tie in really well together. And I would say it all stems back from my childhood. Hey Girl is brought to you by Skillshare. I love Skillshare. You guys have heard me say this before, but I'm a student on their platform and it is so fun to be able to dive into these different classes that they offer. Right now, I'm exploring the creative writing classes. One that's really standing out to me is by Ashley C. Ford and her course is called Creative Personal Writing, Write the Real You. What I love most about Skillshare is that it's an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative entrepreneurs 
entrepreneurial skills. You can take a class in everything from photography to creative writing like I am, design to productivity and more. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside of your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare definitely has a class for you. Lifelong learning is important because it keeps our minds open and moving and creative. I love that Skillshare has a little bit of everything for everyone. Join the millions of students, including myself, already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free when you use my code. That's right. Skillshare is offering Hey Girl listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hey Girl. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Hey Girl to start your two months now. You will not regret it. Skillshare.com slash Hey Girl. So I think, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. To be able to connect with your clients and you having your own trauma that you've worked through and I'm sure are still working through, how do you build these bridges and relationships with folks who may have never, you know, talked to a therapist before or perhaps have, but it wasn't the right fit? Like, how do you gain this sense of trust with your clients? Do you share your own I mean, I'm sure you probably don't go in in depth, of course, but Mm -hmm. just being able to, of course, relate to them in a way and give them this safety net of like, you're safe here. I always Mm -hmm. wondered that with professionals who have their own human experiences that they're working through, and then they're helping other people do the same on a different level. I think people respond well to authenticity and genuineness. I think that that provides and builds safety. And I find that therapists that try to work against their experiences, (laughs) that is sensed by a client. And I think when you lean into your own humanness and sense of weakness or brokenness at times and you're working through that, I think, although it might seem counterintuitive, that actually really connects you to the client. And of course, there is limited disclosure, if even ever, some clients might find out through this podcast. But sometimes you will have people that have experienced a lot of trauma and go, but I don't actually know if you can help me. Like you've never lived through anything like that. And they'll make these assumptions. And this is an opportunity to also have your own journey kind of be a testament to therapy of like, yeah, actually I do understand what you're going through. And seeing someone, because I believe a lot of what we learned is modeled behavior. And part of therapy is also modeling that behavior for your client. And so I think anything we go through through and every therapist is human. So everyone has really interesting experiences that actually enriches our ability to help others. I truly believe that. And so it's more about how you use your past experiences that will either aid therapy or hinder it. And I think that if the more open and vulnerable, we are obviously in a professional context, but if we're just being really authentic and embracing ourselves, that is a lot of space for someone to show up and be safe with us. And so, yeah, I I think it's all about how we show up to build that safety. I don't think there's any really tips or tricks that we have up our sleeves besides showing genuine interest. You wrote something and shared on social media last week that really stuck with me and that's been coming up in my self-work and in my self-care practice lately. And you Mm -hmm. said, our pain will inform us. 
but it mm. doesn't have to define us. And I would love for you to lean a little deeper into that for folks who are listening, who may feel like their pain is what they will continue to carry with them in ways that'll kind of be a hindrance. Something that I've been working through is making sure that I'm being self-aware enough to know that my trauma doesn't have to be my resting place. When I saw your quote, I was just like, that is literally what I have been reaching for is the education behind pain and how we can learn from it and maybe even walk beside it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be our defining moment, our defining way that we move through the world. So I would love for you to explore that a little more with us if you can. I think many times in our life we experience something and rather than unraveling what it means for us, how it's informed us, we let it define us because it's easier. It's actually sometimes less painful Mm. to go, this is who I am, the end. I think it's also a bit of avoidance of responsibility. And that can come off sounding a bit harsh, but it's really not intended to. It's just a really heavy burden to hold, to go, you know, something terrible happened to me and I actually do have a choice of how it molds me. That is a heavy thing to hold and it's not an easy job. And so I think there is a tendency to sometimes let it define us almost as a way of surrendering to it. And obviously they have shaped you. I mean, these things, can leave scars and wounds and they will always be there. But I always say, how will you relate to your scar? Will you look at it and go, wow, I'm broken, I'm ugly because I have this terrible scar? Or will you look at it and think of your resilience and your strength and the beauty within the experience? And so I think that that relationship we have to the trauma can change. We can't change what's happened. We can't change the wound either, but we can change is our perception and our relationship to that wound. perfection. That is perfect. So for those of you listening at home, I hope you have your journals out and I hope that you're taking notes (laughs) because there are some really beautiful offerings in our conversation that I think we can all learn from and come back to over and over again. I love how you spoke of the wound, like the wound is there, but how do we tend to it? How do we acknowledge it? And I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but like, dare I say, how do we accept it? Oh, absolutely and move past it? Is that a possibility or is it kind of, I don't know, I'm big on moving past things, which can be hard, but not in a way that's avoidant, acknowledging and then deciding to press forward because resilience. I think it's an integration piece. So I think when people say, oh, let it go, that's Mm. not integration. That is avoidance, just like you pointed out. Most of the time, obviously, it can't be generalized. I think the point with our pain is how can we integrate it into who we are today? I think that's the healthiest way to accept it and move past it because then you're not stuck, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the pain is now left behind. It just means you're carrying it differently. It plays a different role and it's still integrated into your everyday life. Obviously, the pain can subside, but I think that piece of it is 
the expectation that we will no longer ever feel the pain, I don't think is necessarily a realistic one. And so it's more how can we integrate it in a healthier way where it plays a less significant role and where it's not a hindrance to our mental health, our being, our authenticity. Something I've been doing as I like work through some of my past trauma, specifically in my journal, because Mm -hmm. that's where I do my self work a lot of the time, is looking at my pain as a partner and trying, because I do have a history of being avoidant, (laughs) (laughs) being able to say, hey, you know, yes, you might still sting, you might still hurt a little bit, but... I am going to learn from you. And I think learning requires partnership in some way. So I've been making these lists of like how my pain is a partner. And yeah, it might be a pain in the ass, pardon my French, but (laughs) I'm learning nonetheless. And I think I'm learning so much more about myself and also how to hold space for compassion of self and others. So yeah, I mean, I could talk about, you know, that all day, but I'm so glad that you pointed out those tips and just things, those human things that we're so conditioned and programmed to kind of, you know, the lens of pain and hurt and suffering as who we are, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that that's really important to point out to folks. Totally. And I love the learning piece. That's so beautiful. You're so right. I think unless we can learn something, we're going to lose on the meaning of that experience. Mm. And when we don't have meaning, I feel like that's some of the worst human suffering. As an existential therapist, obviously, I would say that. I do think that learning is such a beautiful way to utilize that pain. And then the other point that you made, which again, it just rings so true to me, the more compassion we have with ourselves, the more compassion we'll have with others. And you talked about how, you know, it helps you be compassionate for you and yourself. And I think that they're so linked together. So if we're having a hard time being compassionate with others, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or that, you know, you're broken or you're not a good person. It might just mean that you need a bit more compassion for yourself kind of as that foundation. Okay, to shift gears a bit before we wrap Mm -hmm. up, you mentioned, and I love when my therapist friends and folks that I speak to say, say human first, Mm. therapist second, (laughs) and like leaning into that humanness. And yes, you are in this line of work, but you're also still very human and still will go through and have gone through things in general, just because of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So I do want to know how self-care shows up in your life as a therapist, specifically as someone who is a giver um, and someone who is in the line of work of being a support system and tool offerer to others. So how does self-care happen in your life these days? So I've, <laughs> I want to be very transparent and say there's many times where I've experienced burnout. So whatever I'm going to say next was definitely trial and error. And I think that different contexts require us to take care of ourselves differently. So, you know, depending what country I'm in at the time, depending if I'm doing research or completing my PhD or working on my business, like these things will change. Mm-hmm. But for me, I definitely focus a lot on having alone time. That's a really big requirement for me. I am interacting with people on a very intense and deep and emotional level, which I absolutely love. But that does require for me to have pretty strict boundaries with the people around me of like, after sessions, you know, I need an hour off. I need to just reconnect. I need to go for a walk. And when I'm going for a walk, I will listen to music. So if you want to join me, you totally can, but please don't talk to me. And people find that so strange till they get used to it. And so I think boundaries have been one of the best ways of taking care of myself. And then constantly 
constantly checking in and going, what do I need right now? Not putting myself in a box of this is what self-care always looks like for me. Because to be honest, it does change depending on my mood. And so just always having that inner dialogue and practicing that inner dialogue of like, today I really need some connection. Today I really need alone time. And then setting boundaries according to that has been something I do. I also do watch Netflix. You know, Friends is one of my favorite ways to turn off. And so it's like a comfort (laughs) blanket for me. So I will do that as well. And then just having people that are a safe space for me. So I constantly encountering other people's experiences. And so also having those safe people where they can encounter mine, where I don't have to be the person that's, you know, listening, but being listened to. And that's a very important thing because it's easy for a therapist to then go into their personal life and still act like a therapist to their friends and family. And just not, again, having boundaries around that. And then also, you know, calling up my sister and being like, I just need to talk to someone and having that space and ensuring I have those strong relationships is really crucial for my self-care. Before we go, I'd love to ask you an icebreaker question. Oh, great. I love it. (laughs) What three words come to mind when you think of healing? Uh, Resilience, grace, authenticity. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.